folks. XQ quality, better than HQ, but no one knows what the X stands for, except for extremely good. <clears throat> Here we go. Episode 211. Tonight is an Iron Man episode where Noah and I will uh, try to try and go through without stopping to use the restroom, eat any food, or do anything else that would interrupt us during the course of this this recording. <laughs> I like uh, that Iron Man style. That's pretty cool. Like, like the Iron Man episode? Yeah. It's a study of tenacity and endurance, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but I... I should have uh, introduced uh, myself. I am Mark, and of course I am joined by... Hi, I'm Noah. There you go. So here we are, and we are ready to rock. Uh, Tonight we will... uh, Well, I think we'll talk about some listener feedback we got. We'll tell you what we've been playing, and then we have a rapid-fire section of news that we've run across, which (laughs) we will cover, and that will conclude our wonderful episode. And to kick it off... I think we've got some listener feedback. Yay! Yay! Last last episode, you may recall, we were we were screaming for for feedback, and we continue to to cry <laughs> for to affirmation. Cry out. Please, we need to, we need to know you're out there and listening. So, no matter how stupid or insignificant you may think uh, any kind of feedback you send us could be. It's not. Go ahead and let us know what you're thinking, or if you have any questions, or if you'd like to just say something cool. Go ahead and send it in to mail. M-A-I-L. At channelmassive.com. First up, a listener and occasional co-host, Dan, writes in that OnLive found a buyer and cleaned house to reduce liability prior to their acquisition. (laughs) How savvy of them. Yeah, it appears that they pretty much sold everything, laid off the entire company, and cleaned house, and then they re the the uh, the, the leader of the uh, CEO, yeah, Steve Perlman, right? Um, he repurchased the company assets, started in a new called On Live Two, and they are now they have now hired back all of the uh, employees or offered them contractor positions. Um, the interesting thing is now. Everybody who had invested in OnLive previously, except I think for one person, one group, um, lost all their equity. The employees have no equity. Oh, my um, gosh. But it's believed that the only way that you could pull something off like this is that CEO Steve Perlman has some really, really good um, deals lined up somehow, no matter what it says on paper. So if they get purchased, he will get a airplane made out of diamonds or a uh, you know a Bentley made out of like Swiss chocolate, something cool like that will happen as long as as well as a whole bunch of money. Um, you know this happens right on the heels of uh, Sony paying 380 million for Gaikai. So I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting to see it happen. I 
hope them nothing but um, total failure because it's a total asshole move to make. I think I hate to see people who go to work at startups um, getting treated like this, you know. It it just goes to show that the only people who ever come out ahead are the C level people in a startup. Um, the 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 grunts, the the actual workers, you know, everybody else can have something like this happen where their equity drops to zero and all those extra hours they're working is it's all been for basically nothing. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, Noah, but I, I was pretty. It, it reaffirmed my belief that uh, humanity is terrible. <laughs> Aren't you glad we're in IT? <laughs> oh, yeah, this never happens in IT. Yeah. Wait we a really minute. have made a – we're, we're risk takers, gamblers. Yeah, if gamblers, you if you will. Yeah. Yeah. We love – and then working in internet companies, also super awesome. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Another place where this never happens. Yeah, it's um, it's really unfortunate, and I, I don't mean to make light of it. I do, actually, I'm very happy with my job, but it's really scary. And yeah. I remember a few years ago, good old Michael Pachter, I believe, said that the video game industry was bulletproof, recession-proof. I yeah. think that's how he put it. <laughs> because it just, during 2008, 2009, when the economy was really starting to sour, that's when Rock Band was taken off and Guitar Hero and all these games and systems were selling really well. And then now, as we see, nothing really is recession-proof, unfortunately. And I was really surprised that this happened with OnLive because I thought of the two companies between OnLive and Gaikai that OnLive had the bigger stability, it had the better-known name, it yeah. had a head start in terms of being out there, and that Gaikai was the one that Sony bought. First of all, that kind of surprised me. I wasn't expecting them to go with that one because I just knew of OnLive more. And Gaikai just sounded like a Me Too type company, but Gaikai established itself, got bought. I thought, oh, OnLive will be fine. But apparently yeah. not. And then just the way that it's been handled is really ugly. It's yeah. Even, I mean, even in our experience, Mark, I don't think that the way that this was handled is something that we've ever been through. And I'm sure I would be really, really upset and angry and want to get out of IT and video games altogether if that had happened to me. I'd potentially think that because it'd be so burned by it. Yeah, we've we've been through some interesting things like being berated one day because a software project failed that we had very little to do with, and then the next day being <laughs> treated to mimosas as a sorry we got it wrong kind of approach. And we've, <laughs> there's all sorts of managers out there. <laughs> we've seen all kinds of like teams paraded out of the building, and you know, um, power struggles with you know actual employees kind of on the front lines being you know. <laughs> being being fired to teach people lessons and I mean all kinds of crazy stuff but just to have somebody just kind of make this kind of a maneuver and make it so blatant and obvious um it's pretty it's pretty much of a bummer to see it and it's as as Dan said it it's an asshole move yeah um, or dick move by on live so on the upside, Dan also wrote in and said, Mark, you must read this and then start gaming. And we had had an episode with him about Dungeons and & Dragons, and during the course of it, I, I think I kept complaining that 
the rules really aren't the most important thing. It's the story and minimal rules. I would be much happier playing, you know, basic D&D than 4th edition Advanced Dungeons and Dragons any day, right? Because I really just don't think that rules that account for every single possible thing, like where you're actually calculating the wind knots, the, the you know, the gravity on the plane of existence you're on, you know, yeah. doing, you know, having to calculate the volume of a, of a, some kind of a Taurus type thing to figure out what your area of effect of your explosion is. Um, I, I just don't think that that's really fun or conducive to good storytelling, which I think it's all about. And so Dan wrote in from this, um, this wonderful article from Wired, the geek, geek dad section from August, 2012. Um, it's a story by Kevin, um, Macus, Mac, I guess this is how you pronounce it, but, um, he talked about, you know, same kind of experience, um, started playing Dungeons and Dragons in junior high. He lived 20 miles south of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which is kind of like the epicenter where it all came from. But, you know, he has kids now, and he wanted to realize the dream of of actually playing D&D with his kids, so he bought them the 4th edition starter kit, and it was not well received by his kids, who had, you know, different age groups, but it was just not, it did not work. And he kind of went back to the drawing board, and came up with um, with kind of a really, I would say dumb, not say dumbed down, but streamlined version of the rules called D and D ish. And he's made a PDF with all the rules that you can you nice. can download and check out. And did you look at this, Noah? It is really well done. Like it's not what I would have expected a PDF to look like. It I mean it's got color and graphics and some layout skills and humor. I like got a scene of these orcs that are obviously LARPers. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really cool. And so, yeah, he's like basically dumbed down the rule book to three pages or four um, and dumbed down the stats to like, you know, there's three stats. He uses a Fibonacci sequence to calculate um, experience points for levels just to inflict some math on his unsuspecting audience. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. It's like a really good idea. And it all kind of comes back to what we had said, which is it's more about the narrative. It's about the story. It's not about all these damn rules. Um, but he has built in some things like to keep the, the players involved. He requires them to um, maintain running journals of what's going on um, and to keep things consistent and things like that. And he has, you know, the character sheets for him and everything. It just sounded really cool. I thought it was an awesome idea. Yeah, it, we're calling it simplified. I mean, there's still on these three sheets a lot of text. There is. <laughs> and there's there's stuff. There are definitely dice formulas and stuff like that. But it's cool. I, I think it's basically the concept. It's something that I experienced the other year, where it's take the core of Dungeons and Dragons and boil it down to a board game type set of rules, as and board game as in sorry or Monopoly or something like that. Yeah, shoot and some it's, it's granted it's not that simple but it's dissolving it down enough that it's kind of accessible yeah. i think it's really cool i think it's really awesome that he actually presented this as something that people can download and try i think it's a great idea you know if i was going to try and do it with my kids when they're older i would try i'd start out with this version i think it's great i downloaded and it, it only uses a Six-sided dice. No yeah, because they're, they're easy to come by. You can steal them yeah. from Yahtzee, I think he pointed out, or some other, you know. They're easy to, you, you know, they're not hard to come by, like all the polyhedral 20, 12, 8, 4. Yeah. 
you know, crazy stuff like that. Though I have um, to confess, for me, those dice are part of the appeal. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like the two-sided die the best, but, you know, that's what <laughs> Um, but yeah, I thought it was really cool. So, um, thanks for writing in with both articles, Dan, much appreciated. And, uh, we look forward to having you back as a co-host again, when you have time, you you were one of our best co-hosts in recent episodes that I can think of. So, um, we also got a a cool email in from Hilgi who writes in, Hey guys, a few years ago, Mark said that he was making a game called hot bitches colon unwed. And you can imagine what that looks like. So Hot Bitches Unwed. I can only assume that Hot Bitches Unwed is the game he is currently working on. Hot Bitches Unwed lengthy development is starting to feel a bit like Duke Nukem Forever. (laughs) Please get Hot Bitches Unwed into our hands while Hot Bitches are still relevant. Will there be a girlfriend mode? Later, guys. So (laughs) we talked about girlfriend mode on the last podcast and we we were we were worried about tackling it, but we I think we did it without sounding horribly well, at uh, least we got one email yeah <laughs> yeah we so i i went i i wrote him back but i thought i'd go ahead and read it just because i put a little bit of time into my official press release um so from from my my unknown unnamed game studio um this official <laughs> press release was re, has come out rest assured that hot bitches unwed the reckoning is still in development Sadly, we've just received the art assets I offshored to China, but alas, due to a um, inches to centimeters conversion rounding error, they're all only two by two pixels. Well, it happened to NASA, right? So I figure it's okay if it happens to us. Um, I'm having it redone by an East Indian artist this time. Expect less Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon vibe and more of a Bollywood theme. Additionally, the script has been handed off to J.K. Rowling for sprucing up but is delayed as she hasn't found any good source material to rip off uh, interpret for the main story. I've gone ahead and started working on a new game engine in micro-focused visual COBOL. The ease of variable naming conventions and the extreme use of hyphenation has been incredibly helpful, as well as the revolutionary self-documenting code syntax. And if you're a coder who's ever had to program in COBOL, you will know that that's a total crock of whatever. But um, I thought I would... uh, throw that in there just to throw him off. Without an actual 2D graphics engine to work with, I'm forced to represent each scene as an Excel spreadsheet, which I rapidly display in sequence at about four frames per second. I think it provides a gritty realism similar to sleeping through a business conference call. The mini <laughs> will find familiar yet oddly intoxicating. Keep listening for further updates. By the way, we're still delving into the full ramifications of girlfriend mode. We've also considered wife mode, which is a less sexual but more pricey version, but we just can't decide. Thanks. <laughs> And that concludes listener feedback. Please send us more feedback. We need it. We need the we need the justification to keep doing the podcast. When we don't get feedback, we think we're just talking to ourselves, and that makes us sad. Podcasting in a vacuum. Yeah, we feel like we're pod fading because we don't look at our statistics anymore. So, anyway, send us mail at mail, M-A-I-L, at channelmassive.com. And... Noah, I think it's time for our what we're playing section. And to kick it off, I think we should say, Noah, what have you been playing? <laughs> well, that's a good question. I don't think I've been playing too much, which is sad because I've actually gotten a couple new games. I, I played five minutes of a new game I got for my birthday called Driver San Francisco, which Whoa, hold seems on. really cool. That's a big time commitment. <laughs> 
I remember real it was life. all the time that I had. <laughs> I mean, your real life is what's really important, Noah. Don't shut off the real world. When you play a game for five minutes, it sets a really, really... <laughs> a dangerous precedent. <laughs> Very dangerous. Dominoes will begin to fall as my life collapses around me. Right. They'll, they'll yeah. be like, why isn't he at work? Oh, he's only five minutes late. Oh, well, never mind. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is... Usually the weekends are when I'm going to get really into playing something. I mean, that's how I got through the last three Mass Effect games over the last few months. And this weekend, unfortunately, will not be a video game weekend either, because like about a month ago, it's going to be a wall-to-wall Dungeons & Dragons extravaganza, not by any intentional planning. It's just that, yet again, both of my D&D campaigns selected the same weekend. Wow. So I've got... D&D with Dan on Saturday, and then I've got my fairy changeling, D&D, oh, yes. which isn't really D&D, I know, but it's it's World of Darkness, White Wolf, blah, blah, blah. That's on Sunday. Wow. So that'll Sunday, be like Sunday, night. Sunday, World of Darkness. Be a weird fairy. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the, one that, the one on Saturday, I think that's going to be my sixth, maybe my seventh? Good seventh God. or so ses- session for that story. And for the third time out of four, out of the four last times we've played, I will be playing as Rue. There was one time where I didn't. That's the thief in our oh, game. Cool. The only neutral character who can be mischievous. And so I'm looking forward to role-playing as her again because our person who plays that character is unable to come oh. yet again. Uh, that's why she's been played by someone else the last four times. But on the other hand, it's like I, I there's so much potential to interact with the neutral person, to interact with the thief, the rogue of the group, for my character, my real character, and I don't like talking to myself. Right. <laughs> and right. yet that's what I have to do if I'm going to have that con- those con- those cool conversation moments. And the upside is that I can steer the conversation or the dialogue however I want. The downside is that everybody immediately starts snickering and like, that's <laughs> 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 just like. All right, I'm not feeling this. I'm not going to do it. So there's that. And then it's going to be my second session on Sunday in the world of Changeling. And my character background is getting more fleshed out. And I've never played a game in World of Darkness before, let alone one that has such the interesting and complex mechanics. So I'm really excited to see, to tell you whatever stories I have for both of those. Cool. But otherwise, yeah, I still want to get into Dragon Age. Haven't started that yet. So I've got that. I've also got The Last Story, which is a new role-playing game exclusive to Wii that has a lot of potential, and Xenoblade, a sci-fi RPG that I started a while back but then got sidetracked with all the Mass Effect. I couldn't play them simultaneously. So I've got three big RPGs, Rhythm Thief still, and then Driver, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'm hoping to return to form. Have you played any League of Legends, actually? I I was planning on it. I wanted to get get back into it, but I haven't yet. Um, Have you? No, oh. but speaking of multiplayer madness, I did just remember abstractedly, there was a video game session just a couple of nights ago that you weren't able to come to, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, yeah, Left for Dead 2, right? Yeah, so listeners, we were all together to watch UFC and eat food a couple of weeks ago, and Jason unexpectedly brought up, he's like, you know what I really been wanting to play? I want to play Left for Dead. And it was yeah. so funny, because I, I don't know about you, Mark, I hadn't played it in, I don't know, two or so years, I say. I, I can't even find my Left 4 Dead 1 for the Xbox. I, I have no idea what I did with it. 
Yeah, and so we're like, yeah, let's play them. And Bob was interested because he's like, oh, that would be so cool to play with you all because there's four of us here, and that means there's no random dickheads joining us via Xbox Live. Right. So we can actually talk to each other and plan and actually have a really cool, fun game the way Valve probably ideally intended it to be played, not with, you know, a smart-ass nine-year-old kid swearing in your ear. Right. And no, other people not talking. shooting that. Yeah. So, and, and then Jason, of course, has a long legacy that he never hesitates to remind us about, that whenever he plays with us, he never survives the very final level. Right. And so he's always it's listed just... in the level's credits as someone that made the ultimate sacrifice and that our game is dedicated to. Yeah, he he is. Um, he does like to remind us of his martyrdom. And so, in order to pick the campaigns, because now there are so many of them, we were able to import all the Left 4 Dead one campaigns. So that's like four or five right there. We have all the Left 4 Dead two campaigns, and then there's two or three additional DLC campaigns that have come out for Left 4 Dead two over the last few years. But we started with the very original one because that's one of the ones that Jason doesn't have an achievement for, <laughs> and it involves the very opening moments of Left 4 Dead 2 where your characters meet up on the roof of a burning hotel and have to fight your way down. And then you go across the highway and through this mini market area. And then, then you ultimately end up in the mall and you're trying to get gas cans to fill up a stock car that's on display in the mall while constantly being swarmed by wave after wave after wave of zombies, <laughs> which is really freaking hard. We had to play it four times. Oh, and by the time the fourth time started, I was actually surprised we even started a fourth time that last level because we kept dying. I thought that somebody was going to say, you know what? We can't. Let's just hang it up. We're not going to get through it. But we played it and we played it and we played it. It was me, Jason and Bob. Mark, unfortunately, wasn't able to join us because he can't find his game yet. Yeah. Uh, and, a, and a computer control player who, of course, kicked ass. No surprise there. And like on the second or third time, I was asking Jason, like, did you set this on easy or normal? Can't we play this on easy? Because <laughs> we were just getting our butts kicked, and I just thought we were going to give up. But we played through on that fourth time, and that time we actually made it. I actually had a snapping moment, I think, on the third time. We're like, I hate this game! Because <laughs> I was just listening to that. We were like two gas cans away from completing the level, and they were right next to the car, and we all got incapacitated at the same time because we just got swarmed so much. But that fourth time... Either the game was having sympathy on us or we were just working like clockwork. I ran around. I was going up to the upper levels of the mall, throwing all the gas cans down. And Jason and Bob were defending the car and, and filling it up. And we got through it. And uh, it was like, it was a bit exhausting for us, I think, because like, gosh, this game is a lot harder than we remembered. But we accomplished something. We're like, all right, we're done. And we all signed off. <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, I didn't get to play with you. I, I was going to try to buy it. Um, cause I, I have left for dead, dead one, but we were going to play two and I, I don't have that for the 360. but then like Jason said, Oh, you can just download it. So I was going to download it, but it's like five gigs and it costs 30 bucks. And I'm like, I know I could get it. I don't mean to be totally cheap, but it's like, I know I could get it cheaper at a GameStop or something. Does it include all the DLC? I mean, crap. No, it's just $30 just to get in. And I'm like, nah, man, I, I know I can find it cheaper. And uh, and plus the fact that I own it for the PC really made it a bummer for me. So um, while you guys were playing it, I was playing the PC version. Just I just played like a little bit, you know, like the swamp level or whatever that is. Via the Steam sale, as I'm sure you might have done too. Yeah. Well, I've yet to play it on PC, actually. I like it because I like FPS games with a mouse, you know, like they were meant to be played. 
So, no, I'm not so hip on the Xbox version of anything that's FPS, but I got I got Left 4 Dead 1 because we were all going to play it a long, long time ago. So um, I think that was a Jason idea, too. But uh, anyway, yeah, I, you know, it was the swamp level was pretty fun. Um, you know, I was with random people, but they were all cool players. So that was that was kind of nice. Well, um, hopefully you can join us at a future one because we had a good enough time and we felt enough accomplishment from it that we definitely want to keep doing that. For oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. One more time or ten more times, but somewhere yeah. that range. <laughs> somewhere between one and ten. Um, well, I think that's probably all of the stuff you played, right? So I was going to tell you what I've been playing or did you have anything else? Mark, you're so subtle. Yes, I'm finished. You can oh, start. <laughs> well, no, I, I was trying to be considerate. I didn't mean to, because I was like, well, this would be a perfect chance to segue into what I've been playing, but I thought, well, I don't want to, I just don't want to dominate the conversation or anything. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I was about to ask you, actually. I don't oh, what? to talk about. <laughs> what have you been playing? Well, funny that you should ask that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, really, that I played that Left 4 Dead 2, which was cool because it was a you know, zombie-themed kind of thing. And then I've been playing The Secret World. So my gaming time has been pretty much – has pretty much consisted of, you know, undead things trying to kill me, which is fine. It's fun, you know. Um, I, I'm, I still don't understand why The Secret World isn't doing any better than it is, you know, with, with players. Um, and we'll talk about – Funcom's round of layoffs later, but um, I the more I get into it, the more I enjoy you know some of the storylines and and I guess I read an article that the uh, the guys that did the writing for the stories are all supposed to be some really witty people and you can tell there's a lot of subtle references to you know pop culture and stuff way more than than there are in um, World of Warcraft, for instance, which is known to have, you know, little tributes to Star Trek and Star Wars and, you know, different things, you know, Lost and things like that. There's just all kinds of subtle references. And the the, the quest system is continues to be good and enjoyable. So I've been just playing that, and I'm kind of happy right now with it. I wish it would go free to play, but, um, you know, but I'm – Finding there's more than enough people playing it to get into. I mean, there's always multiple um, instance runs going on for the different dungeons and stuff, so it's never a problem to get into those. Um, that part's really easy because it it it's kind of got multiple. It's distributed across multiple servers, but they're all tied together, kind of like Eve's universes. So you can always find people to play with for that stuff, or to team up with. And um, I'm yeah. enjoying it still. And I, I just like the feel. I like the maturity of it, you know. The mm-hmm. the quests, like the, especially the investigative quests, are so fun because you, you know, you have to just like there's one where you have to trans like translate an alphabet and figure out what these glyphs are and stuff. And you just don't do that in other MMOs ever, or even games for that matter. I mean, it reminds me of the old, you know, some of the old style games, you know, so been playing that and that's, that's been pretty much it for me. I, I was going to log into League of Legends and I just was like, man, if I do this, I will be here for the next two hours and I really should go to bed. So I didn't, but uh, I'm starting to feel the call of it. So hopefully I'll have something to report next time. Well, do you think we are listeners? This is something that Mark and I were just talking about before we started recording and it really threw me off. Oh, yeah. To realize it, we've talked on the show 
across many episodes about what we were going to do this year in terms of our vacation. And we were debating between Dragon Con and PAX. And then there was, of course, the drama that we couldn't get into PAX. And then we decided to go with Dragon Con, but we weren't sure how that was going to go. And it, it's next week. And we're not, we're not ready. Like We aren't. We're so not ready. Despite... I, in spite of all the efforts to plan and be ready for it. I'm not prepared. I feel like that World of Warcraft... Um, uh, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Yeah, saying, you are not prepared. That's exactly how I feel. I can hear him taunting me. Demon <laughs> hunter guy. It's driving me crazy. So, yeah, we are not prepared. There's a really cool app that's up to date. Um, for smartphones that, you know, helps you schedule stuff. But yeah. every time I go to use that, it seems like I have the, the phone rings or something comes up and I, I ha- just can't make any progress. So hoping this week gets a little better now that there's one day left to, uh, or, <laughs> you know, well, two days left, I guess, if you, whatever. There's not a lot of time. And, uh, yeah, it's going fast. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. We have our flights booked. We have our hotels booked. Oh, Scott's I didn't meet do us. that. You booked <laughs> and, your flight? I didn't. Yeah. I haven't done that. I was just gonna hitchhike there. <laughs> Starting tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. No. No. I was gonna start on Thursday. <laughs> um, and we've uh, Bob has attempted to like encourage us to fill out schedules and check out maps, and we've all got the app and tried to use that. And it's just, I, I think part of the reason why I'm unsure and the, what made me think about this actually was you talking about League of Legends, but I've never been to anything like this before. And there's just so much going on. It's like complete overload. I think the closest thing that I could think of that's similar to it is E3, just because that's incredibly overwhelming and lots of stuff yeah. at once as well. But this is a, an entirely different beast. And there's so many things that I want to check out. And I already, my schedule has all these like, gosh, I really want to go to this and this and this at the same time. Yeah, it's crazy. Choose. And it's across four different hotels. And how are we going to end up keeping in touch, meeting up? Where are we going to eat? How are we going to, when are we going to go back to the, the our, our real hotel versus the convention hotels? I, I don't know. I don't know how much money I'm going to spend. <laughs> just like I know. It, it's There's just all the basics. Like, what are we going to eat? And then I need to take care of my dog. And all this other stuff. Just like, oh, I'm not ready. But yeah, I know. It'll all come together at the last minute, I'm sure. I think it will. Oh, I did do another game. I totally didn't mention this. Um, I I I should. I'll just do it real quick, and yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny. So um, one of my friends um, said, "Hey, I'm having a I'm having a poker game at my house. Why don't you come on over?" And and I was like, "Wow, you know, I haven't I haven't played poker for years. And actually, when I used to play poker, it was before Texas Hold'em, and you know, I never was really very good at it. And it's not something I play. I don't play like you know computer poker video. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so I was like, well, I'll go just to hang out. It's my friend Dave um, Ma had this thing. And so I went over there and it was all these guys that play poker all the time. And uh, I was like, oh, boy. And it was all Texas Hold'em, which is like the one it's a poker game I, I suck at the most, right? And so we had to draw top card for who was the dealer. Well, I was the dealer. Well, I don't know how to deal. I mean, you know, for that, I totally, I just don't play it. I do not play it. So they had to show me how to do that. And I still managed to do it wrong. And then, um, it went around and, um, 
the amazing thing was I, I, because I couldn't remember like a lot of the strategy that you're supposed to use for the game, like, you know, what's, what's better, a straight or a royal or a flush, you know, all these different things. Oh, like yeah. Three it's of a kind complicated. versus. Yeah. I was like, I can't remember this. So I, I refined my strategy down to just, um, folding most of the time, unless I was really sure I had good cards or if I, there's like a blind where you have to put in you have to you have to bet no, or put in chips no matter what and so if I was already committed with that then I'd probably go with my hand and what was really funny was it came down to at the end of it everybody else busted um, and there's only two of us left and it was me and the host and the <laughs> other guys were so frustrated that we decided to split the pot which was like two hundred dollars and uh, so I came out ahead pretty good from from that. And then we played one more round of games, which I think I was like the third last one standing. So by having a really stupid strategy of just being super conservative and letting other people annihilate each other, it actually worked out pretty well for me. <laughs> and I learned a little bit. Uh, by the end of it, I kind of had learned some strategy to actually legitimately play. But it was kind of blowing my mind and making me question my original strategy, which wasn't good. So. <laughs> but it was just really funny, you know, how that all went down. I had, I had a lot of fun, though. So I think I might play some more with, with friends, you know. I don't think I'm ready for uh, – I'm not – saying not ready for Vegas is an understatement, but I'm not even ready for, like, Cripple Creek or Blackhawk, which are our local Colorado towns that are that allow low, super low-stakes gambling. I maybe could go there, but uh, I don't know. It's I don't even bring this up because that's my changeling character's background. He's a professional poker player, <laughs> and it's he like competes a, in all the big things, which I, I know not, really nothing about. But I'm like, yeah, that's a cool background. The gambler is a cool archetype for stories, and like um, in the um, in the Wheel of Time saga stories, you know, by Robert Jordan and Brandon Sanderson. One of the main characters is like a gambler who's also like a super general. He has like the combined memories of every general that's ever lived, sort of, or every great military mind. But he's also a gambler. And you can kind of see the correlation, you know, oh, take cool. risks, have a strategy. And he wears like a, he wears like a Clint Eastwood um, spaghetti western type hat, you know, the low brim <laughs> all the time. And yeah. it's like it's a really cool character. And uh and so, yeah, I could, I think that's a cool background. But, but anyway, I digress. I just had to I, – I did play a different game for once. <laughs> I actually left my house even <laughs> seen out in public without a, you know, chaperone or anything. It was crazy. Well, um, I feel like this all ties together because there's going to be just four of us hanging out next week. And getting back to the League of Legends thing, I don't know. Maybe we'll be playing League of Legends in person next week or we could be playing poker who knows it'll be interesting to see yeah. if we actually do any of that like we did at pax last year i would love to play league of legends i just don't know if the hotel wi-fi will be sufficient lately i've had just horrible luck in hotels but if it is that would be really fun to just all be in the room and you know team up oh my god yeah. that'd be so enjoyable to have that you know make it a war room and just like be all out definitely um, so, yeah, so anyway, let's segue on into our rapid-fire news coverage, yep. and then we'll wrap this sucker up with probably another desperate plea to write in and tell us what you're up to. <laughs> um, so first up, we have a wonderful story. It appear, appears that Electronic Arts has quietly gone off and put itself up for sale. Why not, right? Are you, are you going to buy them, Noah, with your discretionary funds for the <laughs> It's it's kind of weird. 
first Activision Blizzard and then the other biggest game publisher developer out there is now checking out, seeing if someone would be interested in buying them. It's like, and, and I remember there was some wild hypotheses like, well, maybe there could be some conglomeration between EA and Activision or something like that. And it's just like, how are these big juggernauts, what's happening that's causing them to explore this type of stuff? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I'm... duh, the economy's not doing great and game sales are down. And EA's own stock price has fallen 37% just in the last year alone. And it yeah. jumped up 7% at the rumor. That... Just over speculation, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're like, they're quietly exploring, imagine massive air quotes, opportunities for it to be sold to private equity firms. Um, and this is this is over at um, Tech Sprint on the IB, IBT, IB Times. I don't know what that is. I don't, I've never been to that website. International Business Times. I guess I just don't care about International Business Times. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's it's really interesting to see them doing that. It really does make you just wonder what the hell is going on. And it it also is like, hey, guy that said that the game industry was invulnerable or whatever. <laughs> it's not because crazy stuff is going on all over the place. I don't know. And EA has declined to comment on this, so that means it's definitely happening. And I just wonder, really, I mean, EA's gone through some pretty big shakeups during the last console generation when Rich Tell took over and mandated, hey, we can't be just about licensed games and sequels. We need to really aggressively explore new IP, which they've done with very positive and also not as fantastic results. I don't know what a big shakeup in ownership really would do other than result in giant layoffs. Yeah. Which unfortunately is the theme of a lot of our stories this evening. I, I hate to say it, but yeah, Sony has wiped out, wiped out, wipe out studios. Um, yeah. Sony Liverpool. Formerly Cygnosis. Is oh what they were God. Called. I remember them. Gosh, they were yeah, they've around, been around for like 28 years, I think. Yeah, I didn't realize that was the same company. Yeah, wow. it was bought out by Sony back in 93 and then rebranded as Liverpool in 96. And it's made hundreds. It's published or developed hundreds of games ranging from Lemmings to Beast to all of the Wipeout games, Wipeout games in every single Sony platform really a, a storied library and one of the longest and most established British development houses out there for it to be shut down, especially with Wipeout being such a perennial favorite and its most recent Wipeout game was really well received. It's, it's a real bummer. But, you know, it's not all bad news because PopCap has had significantly off, so it is all bad news. <laughs> Unfortunately... Yeah, and PopCap, um, it's, it's ridiculous. They, The day after they announced, right on, we're finally making a sequel to Plants vs. Zombies, and you can look forward to it in late spring of 2013, which I was really, really, really happy to hear. Yeah. The day after that, they're like, um, yeah, we just laid out, laid off 50 people across the country, or across, around the world, across all of our studios. Yeah, that is really a bummer, because of all the little game companies out there, and they're not little anymore, I, I really, you know, it... it it's not like we didn't think that when EA purchased them, they were instantly doomed to something. But um, 
I really thought that they were able to kind of, I don't know. I thought they had like a, I thought they just printed their own money basically because their games are so dang successful. I mean, Plants yeah. vs. Zombies, Bejeweled, um, Peggle, Peggle for God's sake. Yeah. There's so many titles in their portfolio that are just really well known and they really such popular, such polished games across every freaking platform in existence. Yeah. It's uh, quite a bummer to see that. They're saying that it didn't come down from EA, that this was something they had to do, and if EA hadn't been behind them, it would have been a lot worse. But uh, I think it's EA's fault anyway, nonetheless, despite what they say. Because <laughs> we and all know EA is What really pretty- shocked me, a rumor on Gama Sutra says that the actual original creator the employee at PopCap that created Plants vs. Zombies may not have actually even survived the layoffs. And if the guy who's responsible for making probably their third or second most popular franchise of all time can't survive a layoff, that's just really freaking scary. And now who knows what his behavior or his actions were like since creating Plants vs. Zombies or how much ownership he had in it. Who knows if they're like, ah, oh, he deserved it or... They, whatever the story is, they're not commenting. They're not clarifying whether he's actually gone or not. And then some other quote-unquote high-profile source claims that this guy is going to be looking into making his own little development studio. But it's just it seems like nobody's really safe. No, not if that guy is up for um, you know potential axing. I mean, Plants vs Zombies in my household is considered one of the greatest games you know of all time, <laughs> and it's because. My wife finished it with her iPhone alone. Nice. Uh, my, I've played, I think I've played through most of it. Uh, I haven't finished it yet. I've played it, I've played it on the iPhone, I've played it with my son on the Xbox 360, and I've played it with my own Steam version. Um, so, so many copies of it. I have three copies of it. Actually four, because we have, because we didn't actually pirate it across iPhones, even though that's something that would be fairly easy to do. So we have two versions for iPhone, one for the 360 and one for the PC. So, I mean, and and, and it's like the coolest game, um, you know, to show your kids. I mean, for strategy and stuff, it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really a bummer to think that that guy could be out out of job um, but they were getting the sequel to that game that is the silver lining yes because i know um, it'll be good but wait we do have some really good news from funcom because they've oh initiated temporary layoffs temporary um, quote unquote what's up with that we should just call this episode the great depression i think would be good <laughs> um so yeah you know the secret world um developer funcom took a big hit with the, the um, what would you call it? Uh, lukewarm reception of the secret world. At least financially. Uh, Certainly yeah. by word of mouth. I've heard nothing but good stuff from you guys. Yeah, it's like those who actually play it love it. And they have said, too, that their subscriptions are staying... It, there's, their problem isn't retaining their subscribers at all. Like, once people start playing it, they stay. Um, or at least so far they're staying. We'll see what happens with Guild Wars 2 launching this week. But, um, um, but... What's the problem is getting people to play it because nobody was excited to play this game uh, except for you, Noah. I remember you were really excited to play I this. was excited and then I totally <laughs> double crossed all of you. Yeah, but that's okay because if, if I've been double crossed, it's all right because I'm really enjoying my time with it. Um, 
I've, I'm over 40 hours now, I think, into it. Wow. So for me, that's a lot for an MMO these days. But anyway, um, you know, just a lot of stuff went wrong. They So, yeah, they've had to do – they're calling them temporary layoffs. Um, and my hope is that, um, you know, people who aren't playing Guild Wars 2 will start to check this out. Um, maybe people that like other genres traditionally will start to check it out. I just hope the word of mouth thing works, and I hope that they get more people because the, I'm telling you, the writing in this game is better than anything I've seen in a long time. I mean, it's 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 up there with the really good Bioware writing that that we wow. all That's know. Wow, saying something. That is saying something, but it's true. It's good. It's and it's cohesive. It's not like you had like seven different writers all trying, you know, all in their own direction, loosely tied together. I mean, even the zones are, even the progression through the zones is cohesive. So that's really cool. Um, so anyway, it's uh, it's a bummer to see this happen, to see them, you know, have to announce temporary layoffs. I just hope that um, some of those folks get rehired. I hope maybe Funcom comes up with a yet another franchise to start to work on, or maybe they go back and reinvigorate um, Conan. I don't know. I I can't say that of the two, between the two. I mean, Conan seems just like a really weak franchise right now in comparison. I don't know what your thoughts are, Noah. You know, you you played it, but what with Conan? I just felt it felt like an empty world after the first twenty levels. I just felt like oh it yeah, was a shadow. Of... It starts out really great and then it just turns into a, a shell. Yeah. It's like, well, there's a really stunning environment I can walk around in, but I don't want an environment. I don't want a middle. I don't want a medieval environmental simulator. You know, if I want that, I'll play Skyrim. But um, you know, I, I, I was like hoping for more stuff, and it just didn't have it for me. Maybe they've added stuff now, but of the two, I mean, I'd have to say they they've got a real winner with Secret Wars. It's just a very unknown winner. <laughs> you know, it's understated, yeah. as some would say. So. Yeah. I hope they figure it out because I really like the, the, I like what they've done with both games. I mean, both were really risky, I think, and and I mean, I like what they're doing. So, um, in other news, something positive finally: um, Nintendo Joe won't have to compete with Nintendo Power anymore. <laughs> they're calling it quits after 24 years. Print is truly dead. What do you think of it, Noah? I mean, you're in a unique position to speak about it. It was a bit of a surprise because it was run internally by Nintendo for the first, I guess, 17 years, or let me think about this, the first 19 years. And it was the first game magazine that I subscribed to. I think I got it started on the second issue, and I was a subscriber for about 10 or 12, actually like 12 years, maybe 13 years, and I finally stopped. Do you still have them all? Uh, I went through a cleansing process where I only kept the ones that I really liked. So oh. I did for a while. I moved from apartment to apartment with those heavy freaking magazines. And yeah, they're, they're like double thick reader digest. Well, like bigger reader digest, like in thickness, right? I mean, they have like a boxy binding kind of thing. They're not too thick. They, they were regular, um, regular magazine thickness, but they had like a, a flat spine to them. They weren't just, you know, stapled together. That's what I meant. Yeah. Flat yeah. Spine. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what that's called, so apologies for misunderstanding. At any rate, I, I stopped because I got more into multi-platform machine magazines, and then I got out of magazines kind of altogether. But when I heard that 
Nintendo handed the writing and publishing and development of the magazine over to Future Magazines, which runs a lot of stuff like I think PC Gamer and some other stuff. Thought, well, that's kind of interesting. It's not going to really have the same spirit, but apparently it was okay. Some people liked it, some people didn't. As what always happened, and then Future's like, crap. This is like a really niche video game magazine. It's just Nintendo, whereas so many else, so many others, it's like at least all PC games or it's all console games. And apparently Future wanted to make it more of a digital offering, and Nintendo's like, screw that. We don't care anymore about this magazine. Wow. And now it's gone. It's it's going to cease publication in December, so it's got a few more months left and then it it'll be all wrapped up and presumably the people working on it which are all future magazine employees are going to be shifted to other magazines if not removed so it's a bit of a bummer a lot of my friends on nintendojo were really sad they're like wow this is really the end of an era and i remember they have all these fond memories of getting Nintendo Power or reading Friends Nintendo Power magazine, subscribing to it, or even just recently starting to subscribe to it. And she's like, oh, I still get a one video game magazine. I used to get like three or four, and now I, st- I get one, the one that comes with your GameStop oh, uh, yeah. card. And that one's good. It's it's not too bad. It's got some really, it's got some really good stories every once in a while, some really cool interviews. And it's, I still love reading stuff on paper. I mean, as much as I love my Kindle now, I still also appreciate magazines and reading stuff on paper. And there's still some content in the magazines that it's just deeper. It's not up to the minute news. It's not like how it was for us ten years, 20 years ago where we could only find out about E3 two months after the fact when the magazine came out that covered it. We know about everything instantly because of the Internet. But magazines that are still worthwhile, they have really cool exclusives or interviews that you just – that since we're locked down the magazine, you're not going to get anywhere else. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It'll be missed, but it's, it's definitely a sign of the times like you were saying, Mark. Yeah. The world is just moving away from that stuff. And it's a bummer. Which is good for trees. Good for trees. Bad for traditional thing. Tradition. I don't know. Well, in our ever expanding coverage of the world, we have, Yet further good news in that Ubisoft CEO has claimed 93 to 95% piracy rate of its PC games. Well, that's just great. <laughs> that's an A rating. Yeah. On a seven that, point scale. That, that is. Even on a curve, that's pretty close, right? I mean, <laughs> pretty, <laughs> Isn't um, that pretty freaking ridiculous? I wouldn't have thought that it would be so high, especially because they distribute a lot of stuff through Steam where you can't really pirate it. I mean, it makes I don't it know. just like, what's the point? Why do they even bother? Do well, they make I, enough money? That's on exactly it. Fight? It's like they should they should just make console stuff, I guess. Yeah, especially if they're going to whine about it like this. Yeah, it's like, well, we, I wonder if you if you thought this, Mark, when you read the story, it just basically kind of the CEO is implying, or maybe it's just implicit from everything we've learned over the last few years that PC games or the PC primarily is going to be the domain of free-to-play freemium games and the occasional wonderkins sold through Steam or something that just everybody has to have and you can't pirate because it's online. It was like Diablo 3. I, I don't know. It's just like... I like yeah. stuff on the PC and I like getting stuff through Steam, but if the big publishers are having this big of a difficulty making money on it, won't they eventually pull out? Well, I think digital distribution tied to an authentication service is the only way, you know. I mean, 
I, I guess you can write a hack that keeps your game from authentic, you know, uh, keeps it from authenticating and still becomes playable like a crack or something. But I guess if you, you know, frequently update it or something, I don't know. You know, I don't know. It seems like the way Steam does it where they sell the games at a price that isn't, you know, it's not $69 for a game that's three years old or whatever. It's actually, you know, makes a, it's a sensible price and people get it. Um, I don't know. I really don't know, no. I I really like playing games on my PC versus console, so I'm just a weirdo. But uh, well, there's definitely some genres and some games that are just better overall. Like I was saying, with like Left 4 Dead 2, I mean, I, I I just don't like the idea. I bought Left 4 Dead 1 to play with everybody, and I didn't like using the damn Xbox controller for an FPS game. It yeah. just feels wrong to me. It, when I played it, Portal 1 on the Xbox and Portal 2 on my PC and I actually kind of liked it on PC better too. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, just the degree. It's that way you move around and the way you target stuff. It's, you know, not having any kind of delay between what you want and what you're looking at, where you want to be looking is really hard to compare to the, you know, auto target thing that's kind of built into all, um, console based versions of these games. It's just, I just don't like that, but, but I'm just, you just, the PC can't beat console couch lounging. That's the one. No, thing. not at this point. No. I still sometimes do. I, I think I was like, do I want to play this game on the console or the PC? I kind of just want to lay down <laughs> and be ultimately lazy on my couch. And sometimes that'll make the decision for console or PC for me. Just you and your, what do you, what are those things called that you like wear like a tarp? You buy them at Walmart and stuff. The, a poncho? Uh, yeah, it's like a poncho, but it's like it's made out of like oh, a um, snuggie. A snuggie, yeah. Get, <laughs> get all comfy in your snug, your your uh, you know snuggie. I can do that at my PC as well. <laughs> my camo snuggie. Yeah, you have to have the camo snuggie with the uh, Depends liner, so you don't oh, even have, you have to go to the restroom. <laughs> it combines two wonderful things in one. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a bummer. Um, but here is actually, I've been teasing everyone that there could be good news. There actually is some good news. But it's just not good news for me. Um, <laughs> Connect has had a price drop to $110 in the U.S. This comes right on the heels of me actually buying a Connect at the full price of $179. So <laughs> I, I feel I bought mine last month, and I'm really not happy to see this happen. This price drop really bums me out. I tried to buy a used one. Now, this is ridiculous. I bought a used Connect. And the part that connects the base to the to the actual connect, the part that's like motorized or not motor. Well, is it motor? It's not the motor. Stand. Well, yeah, the it, stand. it, can, it yeah. can move up and down on its own. That didn't. It was not actually connected anymore. There was a cable there, but it would just kind of flop uselessly. They ripped so it you'd, off. You set it down, and it would just yeah, it would just hang there like it'd been. It looked like somebody like hit it with a club or something. And uh, so that's what the refurbed model that you could buy for $79, that's what that bought me. So I took that back and traded it for a new one. But, uh, yeah, that's cool. They've dropped the price to $110. Um, it sounded like to me, though, that when the new Xbox um, console comes out, whatever its name, the 720 or the, you know, whatever. Durango. Durango, yeah. Um, it's going to have an updated connect anyway so these will be pretty much obsolete at that time anyway but you know gotta do something um 
I think that the price point is weird, though. I understand that hardware gets priced at all sorts of things, but why not go to a round number? Why the drop to 110 versus a drop to 100? Well, they used to have it priced just under 200, and now it's just over 100. But it's like, I don't know. I don't. I'm with you. I don't understand it either. I mean, it's like, what is that $10 price premium really getting them? Well, yeah, and and when you think about you know, the way they price consoles um, and have for years is the console actually makes them no money. It's at, It actually comes out usually at a loss at some point yeah. for them because all the titles that are licensed to use the console is where they make it back. Well, it's the same for the Kinect. I mean, you can't play those Kinect titles without the damn Kinect in the first place. And so, you know, in a way, the Kinect could be subsidized by the licensing costs. So I don't understand why they have to charge such a premium for the damn thing. I mean, when you look at it, it's not much. I mean, I, it has some cool technology in it and stuff, but to manufacture yeah. it, is it really, did it really become, you know, 60 to $40 cheaper to manufacture it? Or, or they, I don't understand it. It's Yeah, it's still too expensive for me. Yeah. Be getting it. I thought you had a Kinect already. No, the, well, there are two reasons why I don't have it. First of all, I've always felt that it's overpriced. Second of all, you have to, I need a wider light, living room, I think, to be able to use that one. Oh, that's a great point. So I have put mine in my basement because there's like a couple of um, like workout things I want to do with it. And um, I don't have any games for it, everything I have. I have like the UFC trainer thing for it. And um, the problem I'm having is, I'm six foot six and my basement is like six foot eight tall. And a lot of the exercise that it has, has me do, you have to jump. And also oh, no. <laughs> six foot six is almost the limit to the height the thing can handle. So really? I go off the screen a lot. Yeah. So it's oh, been sucks. kind of, a, so I need a different space for it. Um, so I'm thinking of, we have like an upstairs room we seldom use. So might have to do it there. Cause the ceiling there is like eight feet or something. But, uh, yeah, in the basement, which I've always complained about my basement being too low, um, it just doesn't work for me very well. Um, and I, I hope I hope it works for – I hope the height thing isn't a problem, I don't know, when it's – when I have the right space for it. We'll see. But, um, in other exciting and wonderful news, if you were waiting with bated breath for <laughs> Super Mario World to be ported to your Atari 2600 – it has happened, sort of. They're working on it. It's a homebrew coder over at Atari Age has made a clone of Super Mario World or Super Mario Brothers, Brothers. World 1, Level 1. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Super Mario Brothers. Um, and it's kind of interesting. It's 32K in size. It it looks like crap, but, you know, it's for an Atari 2600, so nothing's going to look great. Um, the music was really well captured. I was impressed with that. That it's was still true. got an Atari flavor to it, but it has the full range, the full scale, I guess, of notes that's necessary for the opening music. But the graphics are are really weird because Mario looks almost pixel perfect, but, but everything rest, else, especially like, the landscape, it's really, really super primitive. I know. There have got to be some really freaky restrictions on the pixels and how you place them with an Atari 2600, which explains like why, like in a lot of games for the 2600, you'll have your character and he'll maybe look okay, but there'll be these weird, like artifacts on the right side or and left side of the screen, like going up and down or something like that, wherever your character is. Like, I don't understand it. 
Um, but you know, all the old games probably did every the, the developers probably did everything they could to get past it. It's just really weird looking, but go check it out. And I mean, it's um, it's interesting to see that with enough tenacity and enough years, you can you can achieve something like this. And I'm sure, Noah, yeah. you're you're probably going to start on like a pit a pitfall port for a Nintendo emulator as like revenge, right? I mean, uh, nope. No, <laughs> have better things to do with your. Yep. Well, maybe you can take all your money and you can bid on an English NES version of Final Fantasy II, which is selling currently <laughs> on eBay for $50,000. This story really surprised me because, as I might have mentioned before, the very original NES Final Fantasy that came to North America, that was the first game I ever purchased for myself. It was the first role-playing game I played that I just fell in love with, and that's what got me into role-playing games, period. And I was wondering where the sequel was because... There were another couple of years in the NES's lifespan before the Super Nintendo came out, and I really wanted more Final Fantasy. And ultimately, a sequel came out. Nintendo called it Final Fantasy II, but it was actually Final Fantasy IV for Super oh, Nintendo. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the real Final Fantasy II and three, which were released for the original NES, never were localized and released here until within the last five years via some upgraded versions released on DS and other systems. Uh, I was really shocked to find out that they'd actually fully translated and localized the entire game, put it onto an NES cartridge, the real Final Fantasy II from Japan. And there's this one demo unit, this one demo cartridge of it that exists. I mean, it's not branded or anything, just got masking tape label on it, but it's got the full game and it works. That's I'm crazy. sure it can't compare to the upgraded remakes that have been made of the game in the years since. But that was really cool, and it's. It, re, I, I'm like, okay, what NES cartridge could really be running for that much money? I've heard about the freaking Super Mario Brothers three tournament uh, cartridges, which I think there was like I don't know twenty of them made or something for a little United States tournament thing. Right. And it only featured a few levels. It wasn't even a full game. So I thought it was going to be one of those, but it actually was a game that never saw the light of day here. That it could have been released, but apparently. Nintendo and Square are like, eh, let's release the one that's really fancy and cool, which is the 16-bit Final Fantasy IV, which was branded as Final Fantasy II. Which is famous. Fantasy. Yeah, that was my that's my favorite Final Fantasy probably out of right. all of them. So I, I thought about it, Mark, when I saw it, and I was like, wow, could I ever be what if my what would my life be like if I had the kind of money to to bid for this? And if I had the money, <laughs> would I bid for it? And I'd say, yeah, I think I would bid for it if I had the money, but. I do not have that money. <laughs> That's a little ridiculous. <laughs> That's what loans are for. You get a big loan. Yeah. Nice. It's an investment. <laughs> it's, it's an investment opportunity. Um, yeah, it's crazy. In other news, speaking of consoles, PlayStation 4 will allegedly support 4K as far as resolution in you know pixels. This is a, a recent uh, article from... Um, Sacbee.com, the Sacramento Bee. Hmm? Oh, no, I have the wrong one. How how unfortunate. How did I do that? It <laughs> is Adage. Sorry, wrong one. <laughs> Adage, Adage Digital. Um, God, I'm still having a problem with this. For some reason, all my links are not working right. Um, GameSpot. Let's try that. Yes, 
you'll, James, you'll have to do. Let's have a copy of this story. <laughs> you will have to do some editing. Um, anyway, PlayStation ports to support 4K resolution report over GameSpot, not GameStop, but GameSpot. Um, so, if a console theoretically had a resolution like that, which wouldn't work for any TV known to man, um, unless Sony makes a nice 80-inch say, hypothetically, LED TV that could handle it, um, would you would you be excited about that? Because I, I don't know. I mean, I would just rather see decent resolution, like, you know, a, t- a typical 1080p with a really nice high frame rate or something. Yeah, I definitely but, would. And I hadn't heard about 4K until the last few months, but apparently that's going to be the next big thing in televisions. It's up to now, it's it was first it was enhanced definition, then it was high definition, then it was 3D, and you know interlaced versus PIX, whatever P stands for. <laughs> yeah. And I got a 1080p 3D television, and I knew it wasn't going to be forever, but I really like it. And the resolution when I put a Blu-ray in, it's fantastic, and I can't quibble over it. I mean, with DVDs. We could, even at the onset, it's like, wow, this looks so much better than a VCR, but I can see diagonal jaggies whenever there's a curve or something like that. But it didn't bother me because it's such a big step up. This is going to be another case where it really is going to be a seeing as believing thing, and I'm having a hard time imagining what double the resolution of a 1080 would look like because unlike with DVDs, I'm hard-pressed to find any discrepancies or issues in the quality of a 1080p visual. I know. Yeah, me too. I mean, it, I would. I guess you'd have to have just a giant ass TV to where you could actually start yeah. to see some kind of pixelation, but or you know a projected TV. Um, but yeah, I mean that's crazy. I can I can only imagine the size of the files. Like when they re when they oh, re release yeah. the next super duper enhanced version of Star Wars Episode Four. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it'll weigh in at like you know four Blu-ray discs, or they'll have to come up with a whole new format to support it. I don't know what the hypothetical size of Blu-ray is, but when you take the resolution and you double it, essentially, and that's assuming they don't do anything crazy with color or something else, I mean, that's going to be a lot of data. It's going to be massive, yeah. So, interesting to see a console maker who just happens to be Sony, who's also, you know, a and this is so classic Sony. Every one of their last consoles has been about pushing some extra piece of multimedia functionality to encourage you to purchase other Sony hardware, whether it's their freaking memory cards, their memory sticks, which drive me up the wall, or oh, it's, yeah. hey, this plays CDs, or hey, this plays DVDs, or hey, this plays Blu-ray discs. It's like they're always trying to push some other piece of crap freaking hardware and it's really not i was i was actually looking forward to the ps4 finally not being about some overpriced piece of extra crap that i don't want when i just want a gaming machine it's like wow it'll be really it will be interesting to see how sony's next playstation and microsoft's next xbox fare against each other when they apparently have the same graphics card but it's really they just have to stand on their exclusives and their hardware design and their online services and now it's like, oh, 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 Sony finally found its competitive differentiator. It's going to get you 4K stuff, which, I don't know, does this mean that we're just around the corner from Microsoft saying the same thing for the next Xbox, then everything's back to parity? But it's just, it's 
classic Sony. It's just like, you know, this is why you lost a whole bunch of money on the <laughs> first. Right, because right. nobody wanted to spend 600 bucks for your freaking Blu-ray player. Right. Yeah, everybody was like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm not going to do this. But, yeah, I, I, well, we'll see. You know, it might become just a standard household thing like Blu-ray is now. Yeah, um, yeah. Or it might just not. But you <laughs> might have this PlayStation 4 that you're still playing in 1080p and going, man, someday I'll be able to afford one of those three gazillion dollar TVs. It's 4K. Exactly. Um, so... You wrote in the show notes, August 21st to 23, 2012, the days video game journalism became important, in a giant air quotes, or at least self-important. <laughs> we have a couple of stories. Vox has hyped this new gaming site with a documentary about itself. Well, nothing, there's no really good way to introduce yourself other than doing something like that. <laughs> I mean, right? This really through me and i wanted to say it was all august 23rd but it, it turns out the other story we're going to mention happened on the 21st so the vox story happened on the 23rd if you have been checking out the verge listeners you know that there is a gaming section of it and it's it's a very attractively designed website and the video game section of the verge called vox games or also polygon poached a bunch of well-known game journalists if you follow online game journalism such as Brian Crescente from Kotaku and Phil Collar from Game Informer. Oh, wow. So just some really great writers, and they secure the name Polygon. It's a really great, a really great name for a video game magazine or online entity. And then the thing is, like it's, it's in alpha or something, and the intention is Vox is going to spin off its gaming section as Polygon.com. Polygon.com does exist, but currently... All of its actual content and work is being presented on The Verge under the gaming section. And so it's like, come on, guys, how long are you going to fucking drag this out? This has been going on for months. And then it turns out they release a press release to say, hey, guess what? We're using not only our venture capital to relocate all ourselves to one, all our poached journalists to one area and start building a web design that's going to blow your minds. We're going to also do a documentary about this whole process, even though it's not even finished. So we're doing this 90-minute documentary that you're going to get to see as it gets filmed, telling the story of how awesome we are and how we're going to revolutionize games journalism. And the stuff that's at Polygon is great. It's written by really fantastic games writers, some of my favorite ones. And I like the layout of The Verge. This is website. I don't know how much influence it's going to have on Polygon.com. But I just can't see, I'm not a believer yet, how this is going to be like so effing revolutionary that it justifies a self-important documentary about themselves. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, some of my favorite game journalists have moved over to work for developers. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean like the Jeff Greens and the... Oh yeah, he's so great. Sean Elliott, and you know, I actually he he Jeff Green recently posted on Twitter that he survived the scourge of layoffs over at PopCap, but um, yeah, I mean, it does seem a little pompous. Although I do like the Verge's layout; it's cool. I mean, it's a cool looking site and everything. But yeah, I um, mean, especially if the the internet will not forget this, and if they they're setting themselves up for such grandiose expectations that anything less than facebook.com 
I think is going to result in a backlash from people. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Whoop de doo. You've yeah. covered the trials and the rigors of starting a website, which, you know, jillions of people already understand and know about because there's millions of websites out there. Right. Anybody that can get a copy of WordPress, which is free, can start their own website. And they do. Yeah. So this is not freaking revolutionary. So who knows? Maybe it's it's like reality TV has finally permeated video game journalism, I guess, at the end of the day. But it's just really navel-gazy to me. So in other exciting uh, journalistic news, IGN has partnered with the University of Iowa to kick off video game journalism programs. Well, a video game journalism program. And, you know, they're they're going to take their massive 13 years of experience <laughs> and they're going to, well, that's what they have, um, 13 years of experience covering games and lend that expertise um, from its professional editorial staff to help add real-world perspectives to their courses. And um, this, of course, will cause the students to come out of their journalism program able to both um, both give negative and positive reviews to every game there is, <laughs> all in the be, same article. Yeah, gain notoriety for looking at PS Vita as one of their primary journalist slash spokeswoman is known for. Right. And whenever journalism is brought up with within the realm of video games, and I know this all too well having written at video game sites before, it's always derisively that there's just so much immaturity both in the audience. Well, I guess it's like the immaturity of the audience and how they're just so juvenile and hateful and obnoxious in comments has percolated up to the writing style. And there's so many instances of stories being posted that are just repostings of other stories. There's not actual fact checking going on. It's not true journalism. There's always sensationalism. There's editorializing, just really unprofessional and juvenile writing. And that's what gets clicks. That's what the kids right. out there that like video games like to read and that IGN is legitimizing this type of journalism. It just is insane to me. <laughs> They're most prolific and potentially most powerful, but it's just like, really? Where's the incredible great writing that would you would establish, you would associate with a paragon in any field of journalism that would justify creating a college course around themselves? Right. So I, as getting back to the subtitle that you mentioned earlier, Mark, you can see why I'm so sarcastic about how all of a sudden video game journalism is really important. They're making documentaries about themselves. They're starting college writing degree uh, classes. It's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> it's pretty funny, really. But anyway, enough of this negativity. There are some other positive things to report, such as Diablo 3's Paragon system, adding 100 more new levels of growth for level 60 players, which will allow them to actually enhance their stats and do other cool stuff to feel like they're making progress. Um, will this make you rethink your, your shunning of Diablo 3? <laughs> because I'm known for getting to the end game of so many games, right? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> I don't think it's changed my opinion either. You're not going to uh, get back into you actually are you at level 60? Did you reach level 60? No. No. I only played through the game once, so I'm like at level 30 something, I think. I, oh. I, yeah. I don't know. 
just not on my list of things that must be done. Um, when Diablo 2 was like my life, I it was I was a captive audience. There just wasn't a lot of stuff competing for my attention. But uh, with Diablo 3, there's a whole lot of other stuff competing for my attention, and and it's winning. So um, winning. There's <laughs> <laughs> um, somebody else who should start a college degree course. Oh yeah, that would be awesome. Charlie, Charlie Sheen, Sheen. A, a degree Char- in Charlie Sheen, how to winning. <laughs> yeah, what could he do? Yeah, a degree in winning. A degree in etiquette um, would be awesome. I could I could <laughs> see it um, in, in sobriety. Um, so the last art story we have is there is the an article at GameSpot about Black Isle Studios possibly returning. Um, of course, this is all because we have found in multiple subways across the U.S. scrawled in blood. Um, Black Isle coming back. No, just kidding. Nothing like that. But, um, but yeah, they're they're talking about the the, the Black Isle um, studios could be returning. I was kind of excited about that. I, I went to Wikipedia, where you know all of the information of the world is stored, and was just looking up titles that Black Isle had released, and some of the ones that they've so they've developed they've published. Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 2, all the add-ons, everything like that. They've developed Fallout 2, Planescape Torment, Icewind Dale, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which was like the console port. Um, some pretty incredibly fun stuff. I mean, they, they kind of would take the Bioware franchises and, you know, take that next step, kind of like what Ravensoft was for ID back in the day. Um what do you think? You think that'd be pretty cool? Well, it, it feels like a marketing gimmick at this point because most of the people like that were involved in Black Isle Studios went on to be Obsidian. Right. And none of the people that are there, not even the founder of Black Isle Studios, even knew that this rebirth of Black Isle <laughs> Studios is going to occur. He posted on Twitter, or one of the developers actually posted on Twitter. He... uh I know nothing about the Black Isle Studio news announcement. It doesn't involve me or Obsidian or, well, anyone that I know. So that's kind of an interesting <laughs> thing. And the, the CEO, Fergus Urquhart, who who founded the company back in 2003, which actually wasn't that... Or wait, he founded Obsidian back in 2003 after Black Isles was shut down. And he said to GameSpot, he's like, it's news to us. <laughs> wow. So it just feels like a kind marketing like, gimmick from who is it? Is it Interplay? Yeah, it's Interplay who just you know lost their huge Fallout battle. So yeah, it's kind of like when Atari was purchased the name, but it's not the real Atari. No, but it looks really cool when you put it you know on your game box that you know for your whatever you're releasing, which is funny because. When I read this, I went immediately and looked up Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition because I was like, wow, are they listed on the credits for that? No, it's Hasbro, Wizards of the Coast, Overhaul Games, a division of... God, I can't even read their lay, their logo. It's so crappy. And Atari, of course. Oh. And, oh, by the way, there is a release date announced for this of September 18th, so that's pretty cool. But, yeah, I don't know. It's... You're right. I think it's kind of one of those deals where they're just 
getting the name. Like, forget about the fact that we've completely lost the brand to our Fallout IP, IP to <laughs> Bethesda. And the thing, one of the things that we're best known for has slipped through our fingers. So, hey, look, 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 uh, Black Isle's back. Black Isle's back. Well, yeah. yeah, you know, that's the thing. I mean, the Fallout franchise is in really good hands with Bethesda. It's not like it's struggling or anything. No, no, no. They, they reinvigorated that like no one's business, so... Yeah, I don't know what to think of it. We'll see what they actually do. Um, some of their projects they, that was never finished by the actual company that once existed um, canceled. Stonekeep 2, Godmaker, Torn. Not sure what that was. Fallout 3. So maybe they'll make their own Van, uh, Fallout 3 called Van Buren. Um, Baldur's Gate 3, The Black Hound, and Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 3. Kind of doubt it, but... Uh, it's been closed for nine years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see what can they do with the name. Yeah, their sworn um, their sworn focus is creating innovative RPGs like their predecessor. So we'll see. It's a noble goal, and if anything, if there are more quality, great RPGs to come out, all the better for us. Yeah, good for the. It's good for the players. Yeah. So. And then, you know, the journalists that are all generated by this IGN thing can <laughs> cover it. So that'll be, that'll be With cool breathless too. detail. <laughs> yes, yes. It should be, should be a golden age for gaming journalism. And games been, alike. <laughs> and games alike, yeah. Well, I think that wraps it up for our Iron Man episode. Um, yeah. It did not go as smoothly as we had hoped. There was a police officer trying to interrogate Noah. Twice. Um, twice. And, uh, of course, I lost consciousness and um, <laughs> a couple of times. But, you know, and then there was the whole browser debacle where I suddenly couldn't click a link on my show notes and kept, <laughs> kept coming up. With was focus. that a browser debacle or a user debacle? <laughs> I think it was a problem exists between keyboard and chair, a pebcac error. Um, <laughs> that was not so good. But anyway, if you've managed to stick with us through the end of the episode congratulations for completing your marathon and uh feel free to write us at mail m-a-i-l at channelmassive.com and let us know what you think if you like iron man episodes or if you like the intro getting or if you like the multi mega panels um or whatever you like let us know give us some give us some direction we can make some subtle course corrections like firing either myself or noah or both of us Yes. Maybe maybe we could become maybe somebody'll re redo Channel Massive after we're gone. Yeah. They'll purchase like nine the years. Name. Yeah, they'll purchase the name Channel Massive and then actually bring, you know, journalistic integrity to it and other things. <laughs> That'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd listen to it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So we get on that. Hey, we need a hostile takeover and we need it now. <laughs> I would have said the Virgin Worlds Collective could pull it off, but that, they don't seem to be doing too much these days, sadly. So, yeah, I don't think it'll come from them. We don't need to fear them for an attack. It'll <laughs> come from some, maybe the maybe some IGN spawn journalist. But anyway, we ramble. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as we may or may not be recording from Atlanta. I don't know what we're going to do. It's going to be mayhem. Maybe we'll record Wednesday night. I don't know what we'll do. Possibilities. Yes. 